Today, I'm trying to learn about what is God's covenants with man and how do they work out in the world. Reformed and Evangelical, Confessional and Missional. Welcome to Creeds and Deeds. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 110, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Westminster Shorter Catechism, questions 67 through 69. Question 67. What is the sixth commandment? Answer. The sixth commandment is, you shall not kill. Question 68. What is required in the sixth commandment? Answer. The sixth commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. Scripture proof, Ephesians 5, verses 28 through 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Question 69. What is forbidden in the sixth commandment? Answer. The sixth commandment forbids the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tends unto that. Scripture proof. Matthew 5 verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Alright, today we're looking at God's covenant from, with man from chapter 7 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And just as a reminder, we're working through this, the Confession of Faith, because of a couple reasons. First of all, I want to show, um, well, I want to learn it, you know. I mean, I truly believe that Reformed theology best represents the theology of the Bible, and um, 
the confessions and creeds and catechisms, they've been created, vetted, adapted through generations of Christian, godly uh, men. And they, so therefore, the things that these people throughout history have discovered from the Bible uh, can teach us about the Bible better. And I think that learning it is a really good way to better understand the Bible because all of it's based on the Bible. So um, that's why I'm doing it. And then the second reason is, is to just show people who think that there's, you know, we shouldn't use these. I want to show how they are based in scripture and they're true. So today we're looking at God's covenant with man. Chapter seven section or paragraph one the distance between god and his creation is so great that although reasoning creatures owe him obedience as their creator they nonetheless could never realize any blessedness or reward from him without his willingly condescending to them and so it pleased god to provide for man by means of covenants all right so the way that I read that is that um, there's, because of the fall and God's holiness, uh, there's this chasm uh, between humans and uh, God. So we can't cross that chasm on our own. We can't reach out to God. Even though that since he's our creator, we owe him everything, we cannot possibly reach out to him unless he comes to us. He has to condescend down to us, to our level, so that we can actually be obedient to him. And he does that through covenants, um, where he creates a promise and says, I will uphold this and you uphold that. And um, because God's faithful, we can know that he will uphold his promises no matter what, even if we're not. And some of the scripture proofs that it has in here for that is Isaiah 40, 13 to 17, Job 9, 32 and 33, 1 Samuel 2, 25, Psalm 100, verses 2 and 3, Psalm 113, verses 5 and 6, Job 22, verses 2 and 3, uh, and 35, 7 and 8, and then Luke 17, 10, and Acts 17, 14 through 25. All right, and then paragraph two says, The first covenant made with man was a covenant of works. In it, life was promised to Adam and through him to his descendants on the condition of perfect personal obedience. So that one to me, it seems like is saying, and this is pretty self-explanatory, I guess, but it's saying that um, the first covenant was after Adam was created. When Adam was still perfect, hadn't sinned yet, God made a covenant with him and said, you know, I will be with you and I'll be your God. And all that Adam had to do was not eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. But he didn't keep up his end. And so therefore the covenant was broken. And that's why there is now that chasm that we talked about in the first chapter. That's how I understand that, at least. Um, 
Yeah. And some scripture proofs for that. Uh, the fact that there's the covenant of works, uh, scripture proofs are Hosea 6, verse 7, Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, Galatians 3, verse 10, Romans 5, verses 12 and 19, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 and 47, and Galatians 3 and 12. And then on the fact that it was uh, promised to Adam and through him to his descendants, uh, is in Romans 5, verses 12 through 20, and Romans 10, verse 5. And then the last part of the condition of perfect personal obedience, that's shown in Genesis 2, verse 17, Galatians 3, verse 10, um, and then Romans 5, 12 through 14, 10, verse 5, and Luke 10, verse 25 through 28. All right, and then um, number three says, By his fall, man made himself incapable of life under that covenant. So the Lord made a second, the covenant of grace. In it, he freely offers sinners life and salvation through Jesus Christ. In order to be saved, he requires faith in Jesus and promises to give his Holy Spirit to all who are ordained to life so that they may be willing and able to believe. All right, so that's just saying that after the fall, now we can no longer, because now we're corrupt to our very core, and because of the fall, because Adam sinned now, our very nature is corrupt, so we cannot, um, we cannot live that perfect obedience with God. Uh, so now God created the second covenant, which is the covenant of grace, and he freely offers us life and salvation through Jesus Christ. So I think it's interesting that He on, that in this, they only show these two covenants. Um, in the last one, they said uh, to compare it in the notes or to compare the first covenant along with the covenants made to Noah and Abraham because in the past I've always heard of four covenants there was the Abrahamic covenant the Noah covenant the Abrahamic covenant and then the uh, Mosaic covenant all Old Testament and then there was the new covenant the covenant of grace but here it's saying that there's only two and pretty much that the rest of those are all continuations of the first covenant. That's interesting to me. Um, yeah, if you if you want these scripture proofs, because it's taking me a long time to read these, uh, you can just go into any go look up the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it'll show you all the scripture proofs for all of these. All right, and so then number four, it says, This covenant of grace is frequently identified in Scripture as a testament in reference to the death of Jesus Christ, the testator, and to the everlasting inheritance and everything included in that legacy. All right, and so that's just saying that the covenant of grace is referencing the fact that Jesus died on the cross in order to give us this everlasting inheritance and everything that's included with that. All right, and then five, it says, um, this kind of, I think, describes better how the Mosaic, Abrahamic, Noahic covenants um, 
how they were administered in the Old Testament, I guess, or the covenant of grace was administered in the Old Testament and why those aren't separate covenants but are part of the covenant of either law or of grace. This covenant was administered differently in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the paschal lamb, and other types and ordinances given to the Jewish people, all foreshadowing Christ. For that time, the covenant administered under the law through the operation of the Spirit was sufficient and effective in instructing the elect and building up their faith in the promised Messiah, by whom they had full remission of their sins and eternal salvation. This administration is called the Old Testament. All right, and so if I read that correctly, and this is how I've always understood it too, is that um, the the covenant of grace, everybody, because the Bible says in Romans that um, for by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then it says, there is none who was righteous, no, not one, all are evil, all have turned away. And so because of that, even people in the Old Testament were not saved by obeying the law or by doing the ceremonial sacrifices or anything like that. They were all saved by faith. And you really see that when Paul talks about how um, Abraham's uh, faith was counted to him as righteousness. And so this is saying that in the time of the law, all of that stuff, the law and the sacrifices and the Paschal Lamb and all of that, it was pointing forward to Christ. And that was sufficient for the elect to understand that the Messiah was coming to save them and to have faith so that they can be saved for eternity underneath the gospel or the law of grace. Which makes sense because we know that you know, salvation is only by Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament. And some people would try and uh, dispensational type people believe differently. They think that God actually acted differently during that time and that he saved people in a different manner. And some of the of those people would even say that God has a separate way that he will save Israel underneath the old uh, dispensations, but um, this one makes more sense. It's much more continuous to the scripture, and I think faithful to the way that God has revealed that Jesus deals with our sin is to believe that all people for all time have been saved by faith in the Messiah. All right, number six. Under the gospel, Christ himself, the substance of God's grace, was revealed. The ordinances of this New Testament are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Although these are fewer in number and are administrated with more simplicity and less outward glory, yet they are available to all nations, Jews and Gentiles, and in them the spiritual power of the covenant of grace is more fully developed. 
There are not then two essentially different covenants of grace, but one and the same covenant under different dispensations. All right, and so what this one's saying is, is that now that we're in the New Testament period, uh, Jesus has come, rather than looking forward to the promised Messiah, now we know who he is, and we're looking back to him and to his sacrifice. And even though that now... um, there's less, you know, religion, religious uh, um, acts or ceremony involved in our faith than there was in the time of the Jewish people. Uh, and they're simpler and they don't have all this outward, you know, fancy appearance. Um, they are now covered. They're all now given to all people. And so there's not two administrations of this covenant. He doesn't administer the covenant to uh the Jews in one way and the Gentiles in a different way. Um, He deals with all of us the same. All of us are given uh, the free proclamation of the gospel. And as many are called to salvation uh, will believe. And um, that really, you know, flips on its head the idea that the secular nation, geographical nation of Israel today uh, is like somehow set apart or special uh, and that God is going to somehow save them or whatever because in the Bible, I think it's in Hebrews, maybe in Romans. I don't know. Either way, um, it talks about that all who were of the nation of Israel are not Israelites, but those who are uh, children of faith. So when we see that for all time, God has dealt since the fall, God has dealt with people exactly the same and that they're saved through faith, then we know that when God is speaking of Israel, he's speaking of his people within the physical nation and or his people all over because it talks about that in the Bible that we're his children by grace. Uh, we're Abraham's children. Uh, we've been adopted now as, as children of God, children and uh, one of Abraham's children by faith. So... Um, I think that we are, I I don't know exactly because I know that there is a lot of stuff in there about Israel being God's, you know, it's special to God. It's God's chosen people and all of that. But when I read those and I read them with the plain meaning of scripture, I read it as Israel and his chosen people are the specific people, the elect that he has chosen out of the world and made them into a holy nation, a royal priesthood, like First Peter says, and that that's the reason that we have, uh, or that's what it means by Israel. So um, a lot of people would call that like replacement theology. I don't think it is. I think it's continuation theology. I think he continues to work in the same way, and he calls out his people from the world and he makes them into 
his royal holy nation that he has these promises for for all time. All right, uh, this went longer than it should have, but I don't know. This stuff's interesting to me. So let me know what you think. Um, I'd really love to get some more listeners and also just get some feedback. So if you could share this podcast uh, over, you know, whatever, maybe on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever, um, Instagram, and let me know what you think. Leave me a comment. If you have Anchor, uh, if you have the Anchor app on there, you can leave a voicemail. If you don't, you can go to anchor.fm, find my show and leave me a voicemail and uh, I will air that on the show. Thank you and we will see you tomorrow. All right, now let's go to the Lord in prayer and meditate on him. Let's clear our hearts and our minds and prepare to come before the throne of grace with this verse from 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his king, His own kingdom and glory. God has called you in a manner of his own kingdom or into his own kingdom and glory. Therefore, you need to walk in a manner worthy of that. Now focus in on that. Focus on what God has done to you and who he's called you to. And focus in on him and come before him as a throne of grace. And now, let's spend some time in adoration of God, worshiping him as our God and our creator. With this verse from Psalm 119, verse 38. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. All right, now let's come to God with a contrite heart, confessing our sins and repenting of them, turning away from our sins and turning to God with a verse, or I'm sorry, a quote from John MacArthur. The Greek word for repentance, metanoia, means to have another mind, but it cannot properly be defined to exclude a sense of hatred of and penitence for sin. The biblical concept of repentance involves far more than merely a casual change of thinking. Biblically, a person who repents does not continue willfully in sin. Repentance is a turning away from sin, and it always results in changed behavior. See Luke 3 verse 8. While sorrow from sin is not equivalent to repentance, it is certainly an element of scriptural repentance. See 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. And now, a quote from Dr. R.C. Sproul. Confession should be a daily activity for the Christian 
whose entire pilgrimage is characterized by a spirit of repentance. Right now, just confess your sins, your individual sins to God, and ask Him to cleanse your heart and to help you to turn away from those sins and to hate them. All right, now that we've given God or we've confessed God to our, all of our sins, let's give Him thanksgiving. Come to Him with a heart of gratitude with this verse from Romans 6, 15 through 19. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members to slaves as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So thank God that he has granted you freedom from your slavery to sin and that he's made you a servant of righteousness. And thank him that he is causing you to present your members as slaves to righteousness and that he's causing you to become more and more sanctified in him. All right, now let's get prepared to go to God with our supplications, giving him all of our requests and presenting them to him so that they can be uh, brought into his will. This is a quote from Abraham Lincoln. I have been driven many times to my knees in prayer by the overwhelming conviction that I had absolutely no other place to go my own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. All right, now pray for yourself. Pray that God's power would be working in you. From 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And pray for our nation and for our leaders. Pray that our leaders will fear the Lord and follow Him. And that God will rise, raise up more and more leaders who fear and follow him to lead our nation. From Psalm 2, verse 10 and 11. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. 
All right, now pray for those that you work with, your subordinates if you have them, otherwise your peers. Think of some of them that you know that are not Christians and pray that they would be saved, that they would hear the gospel and that they would hear that you would be given a chance to present the gospel to them. And pray that God would give you the words to speak into their life so that they would turn away from their sin and turn to Christ for everlasting life. All right, and pray for your family. Pray that unsaved members will hear the gospel and be saved. Like it says in Romans 10, 13 and 14, that whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And pray for somebody that you have witnessed to or somebody that you've said that you will pray for. Take time now to pray for that person, to lift them up in prayer for their needs and lift them up in prayer that the seeds of the gospel would be sown in them and that they would turn from their sins and to Christ. And pray for your neighbors. Pray that they would repent and believe. Like it says in John 3:36, He who believes the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God ab- abides on him. All right, now let's join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.